0: You're listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. This Easter Sunday, we rejoice in the good news that Christ has risen from the dead. If you have your Bibles, we'll stick to the Word of God. Please turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 14. 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 14. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one right in front of you. Um, Open that up to 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 14. I'm going to read that passage. and then what I'll do is I'll pray, and then we're going to dive in and see what the Word of God has for us today, what God wants us to hear. So 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 14, says this. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand, and by which you are being saved. If you hold fast to the Word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain— For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with Scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scripture, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as the one... As raised from the dead, how can someone of of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. Let's pray together. Father, I just pray that as we hear the gospel today, Paul says that is of first importance. The gospel, the good news, the declaration of what Christ has done. Lord, I just pray today that your Holy Spirit will work in our hearts, in each of our hearts. Lord, I need the gospel just as much today as I did five years ago, 10 years ago, or 20 years ago. I need the good news declared over my life. And Father, I pray that your Spirit will help us to receive. The good news today. We pray these in Jesus' name. Amen. So on Friday, we've been working on this project, as you can tell, to try to raise up the pulpit so I can actually look at people because it was way down here. And as you can see, we're, we're like partway through. We're trying to get the stain. So I, I go over to Sherman Williams. They, they, they were going to match the stain to the pulpit and everything like that. And oh, by the way, it was quite interesting because they said we need wood to match, right? So I got some scraps from Matt and I took it over. They're like, oh, no, no. We need the wood that you're going to color to match. I had pictures. I thought that was good enough. That definitely wasn't good enough. So I'm like, well, what do we do? So I'm, and Marty's with me. And, and I'm like, yeah, we're taking the whole thing. So you should have seen their faces when we open up the thing and we roll out the pulpit. It's like, yep, yeah, we're doing street evangelism right here. Let's go after it. It was hilarious. But that's all I had. I wasn't going to take, take apart the pulpit. I wasn't doing that, right? Um, so they called me Friday. I didn't have time to to work on it to get it stained before um, this Sunday. But John, who works there, as he actually carried the pulpit out as I was carrying all the things that, that we need to stain this piece of wood... When John was walking out, he was walking out carrying the pulpit. It's an interesting scene in the middle of a shopping plaza. But anyway, um, John said this thing. As he was setting the pulpit in the back of the Santa Fe, and he asked, are you gearing up for Easter? He always calls me pastor, even though, you know, it's like, I'm not, anyway. Um, are you gearing up for Easter, pastor? He's like, I really like Easter. Because everyone makes a big deal out of Christmas. But he says this if you are who you are, then Easter is the day. If you are who you are, then Easter is the day. In other words, if, if you are who you are, if you are a Christ follower, if you know and believe what happened on the third day, it is the day. It is the day. On the third day, a historical event happened. A historical event that changed the course of history. It caused caused an entire empire to fall. On the third day, Jesus got up and left the tomb. He rose from the dead. Why is it important to start by framing the resurrection as a historical event? Because if Jesus rose from the dead, then he is not just another teacher, another guru, another self portraying messiah. This is not what Christianity is and what it's all about. Christianity primarily is a declaration of a historical event. It's an announcement of historical facts. It's primarily the proclamation of certain world-changing historical events. And only secondarily is it a way of life. It seems like in the American church, we've got that flipped around. It is a declaration of historical facts. Then it is a way of life as we follow our Lord and Savior. Only secondarily is it a philosophy. Only secondarily is it a set of principles for living. That is so absolutely critical to stress today. Today. Everything in our faith hinges on the world-changing, historical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Michael Byrd says this. He says, the church exists on the premise and in the power of the resurrection. It exists on the premise and the power of the resurrection. The premise is no resurrection, no church. In fact, 1 Corinthians fifteen fourteen at the bottom of our passage today, Paul says, And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain, and your faith is in vain. The power of the res- resurrection is how early Christians turned the world upside down. Not by teaching a philosophy or a way of life. They proclaimed a set of historical facts. They proclaimed the gospel, the good news. And this is what Paul is doing, reminding those in the church at Corinth that it's the gospel that changes things. It's the gospel that we proclaim. Again, Paul sums up all these facts, all these historical facts with one word. And that one word is the gospel. A word I'm sure you have heard many, many times. 1 Corinthians 15.1, at the beginning of our passage, says this. Now, I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand. It is interesting that the biblical writers chose the word gospel, which means good news. The heart of most religions is good advice. It's good techniques. It is good programs. It is good ideas and a good support system. These teachings actually drive us into ourselves to find our inner light to find our inner goodness to find our inner voice or an inner source that can make things better on the outside again as as My people know that I say this is the the focus and the point of every Disney movie that's ever been made in the last 10 years. Look with inside of yourself. Look inside of yourself. There's something special in there. You just have to reveal it. You just have to let it out. The problem is nothing new can be found inside of us. There is no inner rescuer deep down in our souls. All you find deep down inside of yourself are echoes of your inner voice, telling you all sorts of crazy things to numb your sense of fear, anxiety, boredom, the origins of which you cannot find. That's why, because whenever we fill our lives with those things, they're good for a moment and they fade away. But you just can't find the origin of those things. The origin of those things is God that's why you're so discontent the origin of those things are god he's the one that has to fill you the heart of christianity is good news it's not an opinion it doesn't have to be filtered it has what journalists would call hard news simple facts They're facts, they're told, they're declared. It's good news, this is what happened. It's not my opinion, I'm not slanting it, just here's the good news. Here are the facts. And the wonderful facts are this. The good news comes as a report that someone else has already fulfilled, has already accomplished, has already followed and achieved everything for us. That's the wonderful good news, that someone else has done it. Someone else has fulfilled it. Someone else has achieved it. Someone else has liberated us. We are not slaves. We are free. It's good news because it does not depend on us. It is about God and His faithfulness to His own purpose and His own promises. This is why Paul says in verse 3 that the gospel is of first importance. So what do we do with this good news? What do we do with this good news? Paul says that we receive it, you remind yourself of it, and you retell it. You receive it, you remind yourself of it, and you retell it. Notice how Paul says you should receive the gospel. We see this in verse 2. Don't receive it in vain. Don't hear the good news and think it doesn't have a purpose. The gospel is accompanied by the power of the Holy Spirit to change hearts, believer and unbeliever alike. And if we have received the gospel, then what does Paul say? We should remind ourselves of it. We hold fast to the word is how he says it. We are to remind ourselves of it day in and day out. The good news of what Christ has done. Paul is writing to the Christians to remind them of the gospel because we cannot have too much understanding or too much application of that good news in our lives each and every day. Everything that was sent out in our social media this week had one tag before it. We want to remind you. We want to remind you. We are forgetful people. If you think about Israel back in, back in the Old Testament, they wandered around because they keep forgetting who God is and what he has called them to do. In many ways, we are the same way. We need to be reminded often of the gospel, of the good news of what Christ has done. And we just lastly notice what he did with this message. He didn't make it up. He didn't add to it. Look what Paul says. He says, I have received it, and now I pass it on to you. I receive the good news, the facts of what Christ has done, and then I pass it on to you. This is what we are to do. We are like that messenger going out into the whole world telling people what we have received. Stewards of this message. We, didn't, we don't edit the message. We just simply receive it, and we pass it on. Because the message... The message is so much bigger than we are. The message is where the power is. It's not in how well we articulate it. It's not in our wonderful arguments. The message is where the power is. So Paul says the gospel is of first importance. What do we do with it? We receive it, we remind ourselves of it, and we retell it. So let's just drill down a little bit more into verses 3 through 11. Paul gives us more summarizing definitions of the gospel, a better understanding of the gospel. What we have here is six summarizing words of the gospel. And don't worry, I'm not taking a ton of time on each one. And we'll get get through this, right? he's like, oh, no, six things. You got six points to your, no, we'll get through them. Trust me. It's okay. Take a deep breath. We're, We're all together here. It's all good. So the first thing that we see is the gospel is christological. The gospel is christological. First Corinthians fifteen three says, "For I deliver to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures." The gospel is about Jesus. The good news is about a person. His name is Jesus. We don't proclaim politics, and we don't proclaim a philosophy. We proclaim a person. And that person is Jesus. That is why the big question for the whole world is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Was he just a teacher, a philosopher, a miracle worker? Get this, some people when they explore Christianity, or those who deny Christianity, are looking for a watertight argument. They want an argument. You need to reason with me So that I have a watertight argument, then I'll believe. Well, yes, we want to reason with them. We want to love them. We want to answer their questions. But we don't have a watertight argument. The Bible does not give us a watertight argument. What the Bible gives us is a watertight person. And his name is Jesus. That's what the Bible gives us. A watertight person. If you're not a Christian today, could I just encourage you to consider the person Jesus? Read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and just explore who this man was. In fact, we're currently going through the book of Luke each Sunday, and you're welcome to join us as we explore who Jesus is from the historian, Luke, who was a doctor that was writing, and he was actually trying to get everything for Theophilus so that he can have confidence in what he believed. See, the, the writers, this, this guy named Luke, he was a doctor who was a historian. And he went to all these eyewitness accounts. And this is what he's presenting. This is, this is what I found. This is what I found by the people that were there. That the people that saw it. The people that experienced it. So, the gospel is Christological, and it is biblical. Biblical. The second thing, it is biblical. We see this in, in verses three through four. For I delivered to you as of first importance that I also received that Christ died for our sins in accordance with scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with scripture. He's going back to scripture. Now keep in mind, when Paul speaks of scripture, he is not talking about the New Testament because he is actually writing the New Testament. This part of it. So he is referring to the Old Testament. When Paul says the Scriptures uh, declare Jesus, right, that he is saying that it is the Old Testament that does so. Jesus himself said that the whole of the Old Testament points to him. Interesting enough, he makes this point to a couple of disciples after the resurrection on the road to Emmaus. The disciples were, were there. They saw their Savior die on this cross. He was taken away. And they're walking back defeated. And Jesus appears to them. He appears to them in Luke 24. And after a short conversation, he says this. He says, in the beginning with Moses and all the prophets, at least this is how Luke records it. He interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So he opened up the Old Testament and says, look, it all points to me. It all points to me. Now, we don't go overboard we don't open up our Old Testament when we're reading. And every time we see wood, we think, oh, that means the cross. Or every time we see red, all oh, that means that's blood. We don't, we don't go overboard. But the Old Testament points us to Jesus. I mean, there is some astronomical number. I heard this out when I was truck driving one time. The, the, you know, there's 300 prophecies that Jesus fulfilled. And the, the mathematical number, the probability of one person actually fulfilling all 300 prophecies is there's some astronomical number that I, I can't even remember. It had a lot of zeros at the end of it, put it that way. Pretty amazing that the Old Testament is pointing us to Christ. It's telling us the story, these historical facts about what God is doing and how He's going to fulfill His purposes. The gospel is biblical because the whole story of the Bible is telling us the gospel. It is about God and His faithfulness to His own purpose and promises. The best part is that we know how the story ends. That's the wonderful thing. We know how the story ends. So the gospel is Christological, is biblical, and I know I've already touched on this, but the gospel is historical. It is historical. Christ died for our sins. Verses 4 through 8 that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with Scriptures, that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as the one untimely born, he appeared also to me. He was raised on the third day. Strangely enough, there are plenty of people who do not only deny the resurrection. There's no way that Jesus walked out of that tomb. I mean, I, I, can, I can sort of understand that, right? That's a miracle. We've never seen that before. I mean, there, there's people like we learned last week that were in Bethany and Bethpage. They saw it when Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead after being in the tomb four days. But, you know, this is 2023, and we're modern people, and yeah, we're, we're going to believe that? Sure. Okay, I, I can get it if you're denying that, but it, it's amazing enough that, that people even will deny that Jesus even existed. That this person, Jesus, that we're talking about, this good news is about, that he didn't even really exist. Let me put that to rest. From an unlikely source, and stick with me because I'm going to tie it into the, to the resurrection. There's a man named Bart Ehrman. Bart Ehrman is no friend to Christianity. He is a New Testament professor at UNC Chapel Hill and doesn't believe in the Bible. I'm not sure how that all fits. I'm not sure why you would give your life to teach the New Testament, but you don't believe it. But it really does feed into theology, meaning that you can know a lot. But unless the Holy Spirit changes your heart, it is just words on a page in a book that you study. Because see, it's more than words on a page in a book that you study. What we find in Scripture is a person. And this person, this Bart, does not know. Yet. Maybe God will reveal himself. Ehrman was pressed on this question about Jesus' existence by a group of humanists who thought he would agree with them. They were calling on him to build their argument that Jesus was just some kind of myth, myth. And Ehrman pushed back because he's a historian and he's an honest scholar. This is what he said. I know in the crowds that you all run around with, it is commonly thought that Jesus did not exist. Let me tell you once you get outside your conclave, there is nobody. I mean... There is no scholar in any college or university in the Western world who teaches classics, ancient history, New Testament, early Christianity, doubts that Jesus existed. The reason to think that Jesus existed is because he is attached to the early sources. That is why. Early sources is the proof that Jesus existed. Eyewitness accounts, early and independent sources indicate that certainly Jesus existed he existed now let me tie that into the resurrection those same independent sources that airman cites the ones that are certain that he's so certain about they are the same ones that reported that Jesus rose again on the third day Verse 5, Cephas, which is Peter. Verse 6, the 500. Verse 7, James, his brother. Now, let's be honest. There's no way I'm convincing my brother that I am God. And I'm pretty sure the only thing that that convinced James, Jesus' brother, that he is God, is the fact that he saw him after he was dead. Because he rose again on the third day. I know my two sons. There is no way they're convincing one another that the other one is God. It's not happening. And I'm pretty sure if you have a brother or if you have two sons, it's not happening. But James was convinced. In fact, James died proclaiming the good news of this man that many people think are just a myth. Would you really die for a myth? I think not. I think not. And of course, there in verse 7, he talks about the apostles, James and John, all the other brothers that were there. Like many people, and maybe some sitting here today, like airmen, you may affirm the existence of Jesus. Okay, I, I, he's a real person. But you cannot affirm the resurrection, because if you do, it changes everything. It flat out changes everything. You have to do something with the empty tomb. And there are all kinds of things people do with the empty tomb to try to explain it away. You can't use the argument that people were gullible people and we're much more advanced. These are just gullible first century people. But we're much more advanced. We have Facebook. We have iPhones. We're much more advanced. You can't argue that. Because those people wasn't expecting the resurrection either. Listen to what Ruth read for us. Mary and the other women went to the tomb expecting to prepare a body for burial. They weren't expecting a resurrection. Luke 24.1 says, But on the first day of the week at the early dawn, they went to the tomb taking the spices they had prepared. They were going to prepare a body for burial. They weren't expecting a resurrection. They didn't expect it even though Jesus kept telling them on the third day. On the third day something's going to happen. On the third day, something is going to happen. Others say it's just a myth. Too many eyewitnesses for that. I think we've already shown that. And the Gospels do not read like legends. There are far too many details for this to be legends. One last one that is popular. We explain it away by spiritualizing the resurrection. It is simply a metaphor. It's simply a way of saying that, well, you lose some and you win some. Or after winter, then comes spring. This idea that the resurrection is just, well, you lose some, you win some. This explanation falls short because the Gospels are written as as historical accounts. They are historical accounts. Jesus lived historically. Jesus died historically. And Jesus vacated the tomb historically. You have to do something with the empty tomb. You have to do something with the empty tomb. So the gospel is Christological. It is biblical. It is historical. And fourth, it is doctrinal. Paul says Christ died for our sins in verse 3. Christ died is historical. For our sins is doctrinal. This is something you have to believe. This is the heart of the gospel. Substitution. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, a real simple explanation for our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. He took our punishment and we get his righteousness. See, brothers and sisters, the, the dilemma of the Bible is that only righteous people are going to heaven. It's not because of what family you were were born into, what country you live in, because you attended church once or twice. Only righteous people will be in heaven. Only righteous people will be in heaven. The problem is, how many of us are actually righteous? How many of us are actually righteous? I know I don't fall into that category. None. Now, I am pretty sure each of us here today have at least told one lie in the last 30 days. So, according to God's standard for righteousness, is that we do not bear false witness against our neighbor. This is his standard. He is a holy and just God, he is a perfect God. This is his standard. We break his standard, therefore, we are not righteous. And, brothers, sisters, let's be honest. He really doesn't care what we think about that. If it's fair, if it's unfair, if we like it, if we don't like it, if it infringes on our rights, he's God. When you're God, you get to do things like that. It's his world. He created it. He created all of us. But just remember, he might not care what you think about it, but he sure does care about you. He's done an awful lot to be with you. He's done an awful lot so that you can be with him for all eternity. He sent Jesus. He sent himself to give his children a means to obtain the righteousness needed to be in his presence. He knew we would need an alien righteousness. One that does not come from within, but from outside ourselves. That's why so many of the other religions fall short whenever you're looking at being with God. It's because they're telling you to look inside, follow a program. No, we can't do it. We fail every time. That's why we need to preach the gospel to ourselves day in and day out. We are under His grace and we've been given His mercy. We need this righteousness that comes from outside ourselves. This is imputed righteousness. There's a word that probably nobody used this morning, imputed. Nobody in the back during breakfast said, I'm imputing cream cheese onto my bagel. We don't use that word. But it means to take from one place and apply it in another place. And that's what we get. We get his righteousness. This is the beauty of the gospel. The very righteousness that God requires from us is the very righteousness God provides for us in Christ Jesus. If we believe. If we have faith. The gospel is doctrinal. And fifth, the gospel must be personal. Verse 11 says, you must believe the gospel. It is not enough to believe Jesus lived, died, and rose. You must also believe that he did it For sinners. And much more than that, you must see him there dying for you, for your sins. Therefore, you must believe that you have sinned and are in need of a Savior. And, beloved, this is the cool part. He does this for us as well. Jesus wants to appear to you, not in some strange, mystical sort of way. He stands forth in the pages of Holy Scripture, and by the power of the Spirit, he opens our minds to believe so that we may say, like doubting Thomas, my Lord and my God, resulting in new affections for Jesus and the things of God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. When you become a Christian, you you have love for Jesus. You have new affections, new desires, and it affects everything. The way you use your money, the way you see people, the way you see your job, the way you interact within relationships, it changes everything. And this happens in many different ways. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes it's instantaneous. Sometimes we are, we are at the bottom of the barrel and God saves us and we're up on top of the mountain. Sometimes it takes a long time. Sometimes we explore and we, we seek and, and we walk away and sometimes we come back. Think of C.S. Lewis. His testimony is this. C.S. Lewis said, you know, I felt left for the zoo, and I didn't believe Jesus was the Son of God. And when I got to the zoo, I believed. That's just kind of how God works sometimes. And obviously we have seen and read the results of C.S. Lewis being a new person. See, brothers and sisters, you can be a nice person and not be a Christian. Christianity is about being a new person. And this is what I hold out to you today. The guilt, the shame, and fear you deal with every single day can be taken away. Nailed to the cross of Christ. And finally, the gospel is doxological. Not a word that is used much, it just simply means it leads us to praise. Notice the end of the chapter, the very end of the chapter. This whole chapter is about the resurrection, but if we go to the very end of the chapter, we see this praise. This wonderful praise. Hebrews tells us that our biggest fear, whether it's on the surface or not, our biggest fear is death. And and so many of our decisions and so much of what we do in life is try to, to outrun death. But that's the 100% chance of all of us. One day we will take our last breath. But if you are changed, if you are in Christ, it means a whole, whole different thing than if you are not. Listen to what Paul says. For this perishable body must be put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. And we all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if you are in Christ, if you believe the gospel, the good news of what happened on the third day, death will not have victory over you. You will pass from this life into the next. This is what the gospel does for us. It leads us to praise. The sting of death has been removed because Jesus rose on the third day, showing us that the Father has accepted his sacrifice on our behalf. The fear of death has been removed because Jesus rose on the third day, becoming the first fruit of new creation. If you are not a Christian today, I pray the Holy Spirit will change your heart so that you see that you are in need of the gospel, and you will believe that Jesus rose on the third day. And if you are a Christian, rejoice, rest in Christ Jesus. Your greatest problem has already been solved. The tomb is empty. The throne is occupied. We are the king's people. We are new creations prepared for a new creation to come. We rejoice in that. We rest in that. We need to tell the whole world about that. On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead. He is alive. Rejoice. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gospel. Father, I just pray, Lord, that your spirit will work in our hearts. Please work in my heart so I can preach the gospel to myself and remind myself of the gospel. Father, I need you. Each and every day I wake up and this fallen world comes at me. And my own sinful flesh rises up and I need to preach the gospel to myself. And Lord, I pray that each one here would preach the gospel to themselves. And Father, I pray if there's one here, Lord, that your spirit has shown them that this gospel is personal. It is for sin and it is for their sin. And they could be freed from that. Lord, I pray if your spirit worked, that they would turn from what they trust in and turn and trust in you. We pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the weekly sermon podcast from Mountain City Church. To learn more about our church, visit our website at mountaincty.church. Thanks again, and may the Lord bless your week.